the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all of Judea were going out to him in all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy and repentant. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestors. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. We can, uh, Veronica at the 8 o'clock service uh, suggested, oh, let's call it You Brood of Life Sunday. <laughs> and you know how we joke, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the coffee mug, well, I actually have the t-shirt. It says, you brood vipers, on the t-shirt. I tend not to wear it in public, because <laughs> people don't always get the humor. Well, it's kind of like my, um, my uh, office email, God God. People don't always pick up on the joke side of that, okay? So, just saying. Um, and then, from the, uh, from the prophet, Isaiah, uh, the prophet tells us, and the wolf shall live with the lamb. What the prophet doesn't tell us is, and the lamb will get no sleep whatsoever. But <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to pick up on in the prophecy of Isaiah is, when he's talking about the fear of the Lord, we've heard this phrase before, we'll come across it again. Anybody want to, what's the fear of the Lord? What is that? Respect, okay. Awe. Yeah. Huh? Awe. Awe, okay. Honor. Honor, yeah. Yeah, it has, thank you. It has nothing to do with being scared of God, does it? Yeah. And, and these days, a modern version of this uh, comes out of the recovery community, sounds something like this. There is a God, I'm not it. And that's 
in a nutshell, is the fear of the Lord. And so when, when the prophet says that this servant will delight in the fear of the Lord, that's what's going on here. The servant says, yeah, there's a God. I'm not it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, and then we began um, last week. It's a, it's a new year uh, in the season of Advent. And so we switched gears in our lectionary. Uh, we have a three-year lectionary cycle, A, B, and C. And, and each year focuses on a different gospel. We're back in year A. So this is the year of Matthew. So all year between now and the end of next November, we're going to be hearing primarily from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So I think it, it helps to have a little background. Did Eric share this with you last week? Yes. Did he? Well, don't listen to him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So um, the Gospel of Matthew is Jewish. Let me say that again. The Gospel of Matthew is Jewish. It was written by Jewish people, to Jewish people, for Jewish people, in a Jewish way, which makes it Jewish. Yes, about a Jewish God. Thank you, Sandy. And the clues about the nature of this God, so my point is simply this. Very different story that we've been hearing from in the last year from the Gospel of Luke, which is primarily Gentile, a Roman, kind of a, a framework, um, whole different audience, whole different agenda. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, we have this Jewish community uh, looking to answer the question, where is God in the absolute and utter mess of our lives? And as we talked before, this is the first century of the common era. It's about the year 80 that we think that this gospel was put to papyrus, which was 15 or so years after the, the another destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So, all of the stuff that you run across in Matthew that sounds like it's pre predicting mayhem and destruction, sorry, it's not a prediction. It's happening as we speak, as this story is being written. Because again, they're trying in the, in the destruction and the dismantling of their lives, these ancient Jewish people are trying to come to grips with the question, where is God in all this? How are we supposed to make sense of all this stuff? Well, the clue with Matthew, there are a bunch of them. The first one is, if you go to the beginning of this story, it begins like a lot of other Jewish stories with a genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so and it's the very thing that you and I skip over because we think it's so boring. But for Jewish people, this is the heart of man. I mean, you've got to know the only way to know who you are in relation to the world and in relation to God is to know where you come from. And so, of course, it's going to start with the genealogy. And as I pointed out in the class between service, it's just interesting to notice who is not included in the genealogy of Matthew's Gospel as it is to notice who is included 
including some of the women. Uh, so you got a genealogy, and then you got this whole political thing going on with Herod, who said he was, you know, a Jewish ruler, except he wasn't Jewish, and the Jews of Judea hated his guts. I mean, he enslaved the nation to build his edifices like Caesarea Maritima and uh, Her Herodotus and uh, what's the big one on top of the hill, Masada. I mean, you know, he killed off a nation uh, in honor of himself. Uh, and so there was no, no love lost there, and, and that is portrayed in gruesome detail uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And then, when, when you get to the very end of the story, and there's all kind of stuff throughout, you heard some of it if you were here last week, you know, um, stuff about the, the age to come, which is yeah, the end of the world, or that line about one's left, one's, ah, it's the rapture. No, it's not, forget it. Um, but then you go through this stuff that sounds like kind of a passing nod to the second coming, right? Jesus is coming, look busy, ah! You know, another threat wielded at us. And then you get to the very end of the story. Take a look if you don't believe me. And the very last line of the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus following his resurrection and during his appearances among his friends. He says, oh, and don't sweat it because I will be with you to the end of the age. End of the story. And so, I, what I love about the Gospel of Matthew, aside from its deep and abiding Jewish roots, is that those of us who were raised in traditions where the second coming was used as a weapon against us, some of you may have had this experience, we can let ourselves off the hook. Because according to Matthew and Jesus, the very last words he speaks is, not to worry, I'll be with you to the end of the age, so you don't have to sweat all this second coming stuff. I love, I love the scriptures. They're so contradictory. Um, and then, you'll find in the teachings of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel a deep devotion to Torah, to the ancient instruction in what we now call the Hebrew Scriptures, and in Torah, uh, God's instruction in the Hebrew Scriptures focuses on right behavior, right feeling, right attitude which again is extremely Jewish. And so the second question that these ancient ones are asking, the first one being, where is God in this whole mess? How can we claim the presence of God and our lives are being dismantled? The second question is, and oh, by the way, how do we live and not kill each other? I mean, how do we get along in this, in this community together? Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, has a great deal to say to us, even today, about an answer to that question. And so we'll uh, be hearing about that as the year goes on. And so the Gospel of Matthew, folks, is an incredible treasure trove uh, in the Christian scriptures because it not only endorses first century Judaism, but it also lays claim to the spiritually rich exploration of ancient 
Judaism. It's what Jesus is all about in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to get a whole different view on what's going on uh, as the year goes on. So, back to a brood of vipers. Um, my, the other phrase I like is snakes in the grass. You, you know about snakes in the grass, don't you? Huh. You live in Washoe Valley and you don't know about snakes in the grass? Bill, <laughs> you might have to help your wife out of that a little bit. Snakes in the grass. If you are in a work environment, you know about snakes in the grass. Because there are people that are just lying in wait, getting ready to zap you when they get an opportunity to do that. Uh, the church has snakes in the grass. Every workplace that I know of has snakes in the grass. We even have snakes in the grass in our families. <laughs> we do. So we know about this. But here's the question, here's the kicker. Uh, in this passage, this is now John the Baptist, who, by the way, starts a movement in the first century of the Common Era that is in competition with the movement of Jesus. So much so that these ancient ones had real trouble with his legacy. And most biblical scholars these days think that uh, the followers of John the Baptist grew faster and bigger than the followers of Jesus by the end of the first century of the Common Era. So we've got a little problem here that's called competition. <laughs> <laughs> but before we uh, finish with that, who wants to guess the message of John is basically, repent, you brood of vipers. <laughs> but here's the question. Who is the brood of vipers in the Gospel of Matthew? Followers of John? That's not that guess. Maybe someone back in those days went, yeah, you got a bunch of brood of vipers. But he's better than that. Huh? Not everybody. Oh no, not in Joshua. Not in Matthew. Yeah. No, you're getting. You're thinking of a different story. Oh, not the follower of Jesus. Are you still working on snakes in the grass? <laughs> Donna trusts everyone. Please don't take advantage of that. Yes. Oh, you read the story. You were paying attention to the story. Yeah. The Jewish religious leaders are the brood of vipers. And in particular, the Jewish religious and political leaders who are in collusion with imperial Rome. These are the people who, according to the baptizer, are the ones that need to repent. I ran across an article. Um, Somebody unearthed a, um, a series of studies done by the coal industry in the 1960s. I don't know if you have you heard of this. Have you come across this yet? Apparently, the coal industry knew that coal was the biggest offender when it came to climate change and global warming. What they're now, I think, they're calling it global. Um, Annihilate, I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, did, you, did you hear about this? They have known since the 60s that 
that the use of coal, and, and in the 2000s when they came up with that baloney about clean coal, do you remember that? It was all a total hoax that they've known all along. This is who John is talking to, folks. These are the people that need to repent. Just as a modern example, there are others. Um, and then you get to this part of, so yeah, it's the religious Jewish leaders. You are right on. Um, and then this thing about fire keeps coming up. And of course, we hear this and go, oh, it's all about judgment. Oh, they're going to get him. God's going to get him. Fire! Burning fire! <laughs> I, when I worked in Ventura, California, there was a guy that drove around in a bright purple van, and on the side, with flames licking the side of the van, it said, turn or burn. I wanted that van for the youth group so bad. <laughs> and that's how, that's typically how we hear this kind of stuff, right? Oh, John the Baptist, turn burn! Oh, yeah, he's going to burn in quenchable fire, blah, blah. Sorry, wrong, nice try. It turns out that in the ancient tradition, um, water and fire were elements of renewal. And I came across an article, I've been doing a lot of reading lately, um, and it's entitled, Fire is Medicine. And it's an article about an indigenous tribe on the coast of California who have been trying to get the ear and the attention of the feds and the National Forest Service, who have spent the last hundred years suppressing uh, fire in California and has now created a tinderbox. You're familiar with this, yes? Yeah, I figured you would be. Thank God we live in Nevada, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, anyway, like we're, we're on president. So it says here, the early National Forest Service officials considered the Indian way of light burning to be a primitive essentially destructive theory. <laughs> Championed by the Forest Service, ecologists, and conservationists, new colonial notions of what natural is won the day. The valuable timber trees would be protected, and burns would be extinguished at all costs. These are the fire suppression policies of the federal government for the last hundred years. Fire would kill us, according to the feds, and America would make war on this new enemy for the 20th Century. And what when was that? Pardon me? What when is that question? Oh, this is our enemy? No, this is what time are we going to The 20th century. Yeah, the fire suppression laws were put, were enacted by Congress in the early 1800s, early 20th century. It's been, they've been around a long, long time. And so, from the vantage point of one of the, um, the native uh, researchers. He said, when you have colonization removing native people, disrupting that social structure around fire use, outlawing fire, and then actively using every construct in a militaristic way to suppress and exclude fires, we then have the conditions that we are experiencing now in California. And what the native folk have known all along, apparently, this article is amazing. I just blown away when I read it. Um, according to this tribe, 
They train young men and women not to be fire fighters, but to be fire lighters. And they train them how to light the brush so that it will clear enough for the bioregion to thrive. And they've been doing this for centuries. And of course, did the federal government listen to their wisdom? So, just file that by title, and whenever you come across this stuff that sounds like it's pointing fingers at you and threatening judgment against you, judgment of earth, please know that these elements are elements of renewal and creation. Water, fire, on it goes. And the interesting thing about the Gospel of Matthew from the vantage point of John the Baptist, and again, this is part of the, the, the competitive nature of those who followed John the Baptist and those who followed Jesus, is that John issues this, this message of repentance, and then guess when it comes up again? In the Gospel of Matthew. Anybody want to guess? Never. They drop it like a hot rock. Jesus doesn't come anywhere close. He doesn't touch uh, the message of John. It's as though he ignores it completely and goes off on his own agenda. So once again, <coughs> file this by title. I came across um, a wonderful author her name is Jacqueline Woodson. I'll apologize to Marilyn ahead of time because you heard part of this at the Wednesday morning service. And I'm going to share it again. Um, Jacqueline Woodson is an African-American author. Anybody come across her yet? She's written wonderful children's books um, and equally wonderful uh, adult books. And one of them that I just recently finished uh, is called Harper Me. And it's about a sixth grade teacher who is assigned six children, sixth graders, who are considered by the school in Bushwick, Brooklyn, where Woodson grew up. They are considered children of special needs, and, and those needs are never described in the story, be that as it may. This teacher is assigned to help these kids out. So what she does is she gathers them every Friday. She goes, she set up a, a room um, away from the rest of the school, off in some hallway somewhere. And every Friday, all day Friday, these six kids get to gather in the room and they get to do whatever they want. They can engage their creativity. They can tell stories, they can write, they can draw, they can stare out the window and meditate. Any, they can do it together, they can do it separately. Whatever they choose, they can do on their, on their own. And here's where, here's where it picks up. The, the, uh, the narrator of the story is uh, one of the sixth grade African-American girls. Uh, the other six are a mix of Puerto Rican, uh, one of the boys is white. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. Here's where it picks up. Uh, 
Our story starts in Miss Laverne's class in the borough of Brooklyn in the city of New York. But it's a story on top of a story. It's a story that started and ended a whole bunch of times. When we were studying the history of New York, we talked about the Lenape people. They were the real native New Yorkers, but it wasn't called New York back then. Their name for it was Lenape Hokan. But then the Dutch settlers killed them and took their land. That means wherever we put a single foot, it's land that belongs to the Lenape. It's land that they might be buried under. It's land that they died for. Rich Laverne said that we should always remember this, that even though we have our dreams, the Lenape have their dreams too. That even though we're here now, they were here first. I think this is what the world is. Stories on top of stories, all the way back to the beginning of time. Before Miss Laverne talked about the Lenape, I hadn't really thought about the people who came here before we did. Indians were just Indians with big crowns of feathers, hopping about in circles and hitting their hands to their mouths. But after we learned about the Lenape, the Lenape people, I couldn't do that hand thing anymore. I couldn't see the people wearing their feathers at football games on TV and on Halloween and not think, that's not right. That's not the truth. When I told Miss Laverne that, she smiled and said exactly. And then she smiled even bigger and said, I love this class so much. Miss Laverne said that every day we should ask ourselves, if the worst thing in the world happened, would I help protect someone else? Would I let myself be a harbor for someone who needs it? And then she turned to each of us and said, I want you, each of you, to say every day to the other, I will harbor you. I'm here to tell you that that that's the message of Jesus that he picks up with in the Gospel of Matthew. And it is as Jewish as the day is long. Imagine when we pass the word today, we say to one another, I will harm.